Hey everybody, my name is Jenny Seibel. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmanuel. And my name is Matthew, and I'm also one of the pastors here. This is the first of what will be a four-part podcast on the Gospel of Luke. As a liturgical church, we follow a calendar of Bible reading that invites us to sort of camp out in one gospel a year for one of a three-year cycle. And this is Luke's year. And as we begin the year of Luke together, we wanted to take this opportunity to sort of dig a little deeper into the four primary themes that we discovered in Luke. Our hope is that these themes become conversation starters for those of you in our neighborhood groups. And for those of you who aren't, they can still help you read along with us in Luke as we go throughout this year. If you want to join with us in this study and talking through these podcasts, you can find these questions at emmanuelatl.org Luke or in our weekly reader. So first off, before jumping into this week's theme, I wanted to talk for a minute about the symbol of Luke's gospel. And you may not be aware of this. Early as the second century, the four gospel writers were each assigned a symbol or a creature that encapsulates the facet of Jesus that they are capturing in their gospel. And so this goes way back. It's a creature called the Tetramorph, and they actually have its origin in, in the prophet Ezekiel. But anyway, each gospel writer was given one of the living creatures from Ezekiel to capture what, like, what in their imagination were they trying to tell the world about Jesus. So Matthew is symbolized by a man, Mark by a lion, John by an eagle, and Luke by a, a winged ox. And so just for starters, Jenny, why does Luke have a winged ox as his symbol? Uh, well, Luke was the third author of the third gospel account and Acts of the Apostles, and his gospel is symbolized by an ox because it was a figure of sacrifice, of service, and strength, as you can imagine all of those things um, describing an ox. But Luke's account begins with the duties of Zacharias in the temple. It represents Jesus' sacrifice and his passion and crucifixion, as well as Jesus being a high priest. So the ox as our symbol shows Jesus as our sacrifice, the bearer of our sins. But the ox is not just the bearer of our sins, but the bearer of our burdens. Jesus comes to take the load that we're carrying and carry it for us. We see this over and over again in how he encounters people, um, interacts with them, has uh, in the healing stories, and even in the way he teaches parables and tells stories. Uh, Jesus is the one who comes to take our burdens from us. I also love that the ox is not a fast creature, but um, is a creature for the long haul. Uh, it's the creature that you want alongside you to carry your stuff all the way um, all from where you're going. And that's what we see in Jesus in this gospel is that um, he's here for the long, slow process of what it means to be a disciple mm. and to move towards uh, wherever it is that we're going. That's great. And that actually segues nicely into this week's theme. Jesus is the telos. So what does this mean and why is this a Luke theme? Um, so one of the things that you've taught me, Jenny, about reading the Bible, especially about how to read the gospels, is um, that you can tell a lot about the author's intention in um, describing Jesus by looking at how the gospel begins and ends. Because um, these are not just historical records, these are intentional narratives that were compiled and edited by an author who was trying to tell a particular story about Jesus. That's why there's so much that they have in common, but also so much that's distinct one from uh, the other. And it's significant that uh, Mark begins in the wilderness. It sort of sets the tone for the rest of the gospel, that John um, begins in the pre-existent Godhead, that Matthew begins with a genealogy. Um, and it's also significant that Luke decides to begin in the temple. So I won't go into depth about how this works itself out in Matthew, Mark, and John, because we can do that next year. But the way that Luke begins and ends tells us something about how he is presenting Jesus, and he is presenting Jesus to us as 
a telos. So, Jenny, what's a telos? A telos is an ultimate goal or aim, something that everything, everyone, uh, all of creation is moving towards. And without a telos, we find that we're just aimless, that we all have a sort of uh, different aim at times and different times in history. I feel like our cultural moment is very indicative of uh, lots of different telosses, <laughs> um, that we all have sort of different ends, different goals, and we experience this chaos. Jesus as our telos means that he is the aim, the end. And uh, what the gospel is telling us is this is not just true now. It wasn't just true when Jesus came um, in human flesh, but that it has always been true. So let's, taking that idea that we can we can see this theme and how Luke begins and ends his gospel, I just want to kind of just quickly look at some of the details of that beginning and ending because I, I think it's pretty fascinating. The first thing that Jenny already mentioned, Luke begins his gospel in the temple. And you could argue that the temple is a thread that ties the entire Bible together. In fact, a lot of Jewish rabbis and, and thinkers have, have long understood that the Garden of Eden account, which is the first couple chapters of our Bible, is actually the first temple. That what a temple is, is it's a thin place in which God and human beings dwell together uh, in close proximity. And that is what the Garden was. And in fact, when God gives instructions to Moses later, uh, in the, the Torah about how to build the tabernacle, a lot of the details in the tabernacle are actually recreating garden imagery, whether it's kinds of fruits or palm trees or, or whatever. And, and then this theme of the temple tabernacle, it makes its way through the entire Old Testament. It becomes sort of the defining um, uh, image for whether or not Israel is doing well or not. And then when we find ourselves in the New Testament, Jesus himself claims to be the temple, that thin place. And at his crucifixion, the curtain of the temple uh, that has separated sinners from God is torn in half so that now everyone has access. And even the last page of our Bible, we read that in the end, the whole earth becomes the temple. The whole place becomes the dwelling place of God. So that's the first thing. We see that this idea of temple, which has been a part of the whole Bible story, uh, is where Luke decides to begin. Second interesting detail about Luke that is particular to him is that he has really developed birth narratives of John the Baptist and Jesus of Nazareth. And these birth narratives are, especially if you're familiar with the Old Testament stories, they are intentionally reminiscent of the great birth narratives of the Old Testament, especially the miraculous birth of Isaac to Abraham and Sarah, and then the birth of Samuel, the prophet to Hannah. Um, there's even an announcement of this birth or an announcement of this rescue that is made to shepherds in Luke, which is also reminiscent of God announcing his rescue plan to Moses the shepherd when he was out tending his father-in-law's sheep. So we see from the earliest pages, Luke is rooting his Jesus story in the Old Testament. And it shouldn't be surprising to us then that at the end of Luke, we read not once but twice a sentence like this. Uh, this is chapter 24, 27. And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them the things about himself in the scriptures. And then, about 20 verses later in the same chapter, And then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written, this is, this is important, about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So essentially, Luke roots the Jesus story in the whole Old Testament. And then at the end of the gospel, Jesus roots the whole Old Testament in himself. So what? 
Why does that matter? Well, this is why it matters, and this is why it's connected to the idea of telos. The Hebrew scriptures are not merely historical records of a particular tribe from the Bronze Age. They're not just a collection of poetry and wisdom writings of that people. They are the story, the narrative, uh, the meta-narrative by which the Jewish people understood all of life and the cosmos and their place in it. They gave an altogether different account for the origin and intention of the world as opposed to the other ancient Near Eastern origin stories and cultic literature. Instead, it was the world was meant for shalom or wholeness with God. It was meant for Sabbath rest. It was meant to be filled with priests of all people as priests because all people become representatives of God on the earth and become mediators between heaven and earth. And so the Old Testament is also not exclusively for the Jewish people. It's the story of how God chose the Jews for the sake of the world. Um, essentially uh, calling them the elect in the sense that they are then meant to be the people through which the rest of the world re-enters Eden. Colossians 2, which is a letter Paul wrote you know, after the life of, of Christ, said that all the things in the Old Testament, Sabbath laws and and uh, festivals and temple sacrifices, all of these things, he says, were shadows. But Christ is the substance. Christ, we see, is the culmination of the Jewish people's entire paradigm for the world in which they were living in. He, it, he is essentially the aim and intention and good end of all creation. It's now located. Everything that was made and that, that shaped their whole sense of self and worldview Everything is now located in the physical body of a 30-year-old Middle Eastern man mm -hmm. teaching in Aramaic, keeping Shabbat, and dying by capital punishment at the hands of imperial oppressors. Which means that Jesus, as the telos, uh, becomes for Luke not the end of the story. In fact, Luke goes on to write another whole volume of history called Acts. But Jesus, uh, as the telos, doesn't tell the, 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 the capstone of the story, but he becomes the watershed and now we live in a world and in a story where the corner um, has been turned. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I love about this gospel and about Jesus himself is that all the things that he is and calls us to, he shows us the way. And uh, in mm. this gospel, that means uh, that Jesus himself had to tell us that, and what that was was Jerusalem. What Jerusalem represented for him was the place where he would be ultimately betrayed and handed over to death. And so it was the place that would move him towards the cross. And in this gospel, it mentions Jerusalem 33 times. So there's there's a very clear intention of, of who Jesus is and where he is going and what, what his telos is. And what we see in this gospel in chapter 9 is that Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem, is what Luke says. And nothing can take him from that. Nothing can move him aside from that path that he's on, from that road, that journey, that telos. Hmm. And so he shows us the way to be disciples, to move towards a telos himself in the way that he set his face towards Jerusalem. Yeah, I, th I think that that, again, is... is is really the call of Luke's gospel that yes, it presents Jesus to us as, as the tell us, but it's also showing us it's like, what do we do with that? How do we live in, in light of that? So um, for this week, uh, as we wrap up, I wanna, wanna close with a quote from an essay that C.S. Lewis, the great Anglican uh, wrote, it's called The Grand Miracle. And I thought this essay, as I, as I read it, um, this quote in particular just feels incredibly apropos um, for the moment we're living in. Uh, as Ginny mentioned, it's a moment in which there are uh, s seemingly uh, many telos and, and also maybe no telos, and that there's 
uh, a lot of just chaos around that, that no one really knows what are we aiming towards or everyone has their own thing to which they are aiming. And so in that cultural moment we're living in, I thought this word had something to say. So it's a pretty long quote, but this is what Lewis says. The miracles that we read about in the Bible that have already happened, they are, of course, as the scripture says, the first fruits of that cosmic summer which is presently coming to us. Christ is risen, and so we shall rise. St. Peter, for a few seconds, walked on water, and the day will come when there will be a remade universe infinitely obedient to the will of glorified and obedient people. When we can do things, when we shall be those gods that we are described as being uh, in Scripture. To be sure, though, and this is very true, it still feels wintry enough. But often that's the way the early spring feels. 2,000 years ago are only a day or two by this scale. A man really ought to say, the resurrection happened 2,000 years ago in the same spirit by which he says, I saw a crocus yesterday. Because we know what is coming behind the crocus. The spring comes slowly down this way. But the great thing is that the corner has been turned. There is, of course, uh, a difference. That is, the natural spring, in the natural spring, the crocus cannot choose whether or not it will respond or not. But we can choose. We have the power either of withstanding the spring and sinking back into cosmic winter, which is what I think many of us are tempted to do in these days, or of going on into the, that high midsummer in which our leader, the Son of Man, already dwells and to which he is calling us. It remains with us to follow or not, to die in the winter, or to go into that spring and that summer. And so Jesus, as the telos that Luke presents to us, um, tells us how to hope in the midst of winter, how to point ourselves towards a good and a good direction. That is the renewal of all things, that is resurrection, that is something to ultimately hope in. And so, friends, um, may you find joy this week in the coming spring and the cosmic summer. That in its wake, all tears and all pain, all loss and all loneliness will be swallowed up into the joy of our Savior and tell us Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> friends, this is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emmanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, EmmanuelATL.org. Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.